Well, good. Um, we're going to wrap up our series that we've been teaching on waiting on the Lord. Uh, you can turn with me to Isaiah 30. I'll get there eventually, <clears throat> hopefully. I, um, I don't want to give a disclaimer, but I will. I'm just in that spot of tenderness right now where I could have a, a uh, hunger for God meltdown at any moment. <laughs> so I'm just letting you know this message may be interrupted by spontaneous bouts of crying and groaning. Amen. I, um, I just, when I woke up this morning, just got out of bed and just had this, such this familiar uh, aching in my, in my soul for more of God. And just that knowing that we've not scratched the surface We've just not scratched the surface on what's available. And um, I, feel, uh, I feel like I want to just tuck away in a corner or a closet somewhere and just groan until God comes. It's just, I, that's the only way to describe this little sensation I get. It's like this magnet from heaven... It's like I'm in the tractor beam, and I just feel that compulsion to pursue God. If you happen to be stuck in complacency in any way, I'm here with a crowbar to help pop you out of that tonight, hopefully. Um, But there is a drawing from the Spirit of the Lord on his people, that we would be a people of pursuit, a people of pursuit. And uh, I would encourage you, if, if pursuit doesn't, it doesn't describe your um, relationship with the Lord, uh, my strong encouragement to you is to uh, reorder what you're doing. And the way that your uh, relationship with the Lord is. Reorder your walk so that pursuit, pursuing God, is a main and plain part of the way that you live. For if it's not there, if it's absent, I just, I just have, to, I have to challenge you in, in the quality of your Christianity. And I look at my own life and I just look at those moments, those seasons where... My heart is just glazed over and dull and there's no ache and longing. There's no pursuit. And I go, what, what is the quality of this supposed relationship? If you're the greatest thing there is, you're the greatest one there is, your, your love at the uttermost, your beauty at the uttermost, your pleasure at the uttermost, and I'm not interested, what's the quality of my relationship with you? And, I, uh, and I, I'm thankful when I feel the ache and the desire for him, because I know that's not, it's not, it's not breathed of flesh, because there's none that seeks God. No, not one. And if the Lord were to remove grace from the hearts of the pursuers, not one of us would, would pursue God. It's only a gift in grace. And so if you find yourself you know, stuck in complacency, there is grace for you. If you'll humble yourself and say, Lord, it's not right that I'm this way, that I'm bored with you. It's not right that I'm stuck in complacency. It's not right that I'm satisfied with lesser things. It's not right because you are fantastic. And I want to know, I want to know the majesty and the beauty of you. I I want to know that that thing of glory that you are, so that my heart awakens again. My heart awakens again. It's nothing, I just, I, I'm, in, uh, I'm in real uh, tension and turmoil over the sleepiness of us, of the bride of Christ, I mean, of the church. The sleepiness of the church and how satisfied we can be with entertainment. And I'm not talking about movies, I'm talking about church entertainment. Christian stuff that entertains it, it you know, it kind of it kind of 
pricks the, the senses a little bit. It kind of, you know, it kind of gets the, the, the eye gate a little bit, you know, interested and the ear gate is, is teased a little bit. And, and we just get so satisfied with going through the motion of, of some sort of Christian uh, uh, presentation or show. And, and we have God who we could be encountering. And so I'm in this place where I just have been so many times and I don't apologize for it. If you don't like it, there's another flavor somewhere else, but this is the flavor that I am. And it's just, it's the, uh, I need God flavor. And uh, because I know that there's so much more and living going through the motions is no way to live. Living going through the motions is no way to live. And so this, this study on waiting and these messages on waiting on the Lord have, have uh, once again touched that raw place in my soul. And I'm, I'm grateful to the Lord for it, but I, I, it, it always throws me into a bit of a uh, just a tizzy. I don't know what to do with it. I go, Lord, I'm a mess. I'm a wreck. Here I am. I'm your wreck. Here I am. And, and that's all I know to do is just be a wreck and just... Oh, just have that, that pang on the inside, just that deep that's calling into deep and just say, okay, here I am. I'm ready to, to hunger and ache again and long again. But uh, let me try to work through some thoughts on waiting. I have far more content than I'm going to preach. It's just this particular subject has quite a number of implications and there's quite a depth to it once you actually get into it and there's much in the scripture about it but I I feel like at this moment we're at the place where we just need to go ahead and finalize this message and then allow the Lord to continue to call us into it over days and weeks and months ahead but uh, a couple points I want to make in regard to waiting and and the critical nature of waiting We've uh, talked several weeks def- giving definition and, and giving thoughts about it. And then uh, Kyle did an amazing job last week, I heard, uh, just teaching on how Jesus waits and, and how, how that works with our waiting. And, uh, but I want to I give a point or two on um, the importance, the critical nature of waiting because uh, there's a few things that stuck out to me as things that we need to carry. And my prayer is that these thoughts would actually um, rearrange the way that you live day to day uh, and, and sort of change your paradigm a bit in terms of the necessity of waiting. And so uh, one of the things that dawned on me at, during this study, because I went through and read every scripture in the Bible on waiting, and then anything that was close to waiting, I read that one too. So anything that spoke in regard to waiting at all, I read all of them and, and paused long over many of them. And some of them, I just, I just stared at them for a, a couple of days and didn't know what to do with them. And uh, uh, the Isaiah 30 is one of them. But uh, I want to mention this. this. This jumped off the page to me. And I really want to just give it to you as something that should uh, at least get your eye on the ball as it relates to waiting on the Lord as part of your paradigm, as part of your lifestyle, your mentality, that this is who you are in this age. You're one who will wait. And that needs to be critical. That needs to be uh, admitted as critical information. In this age, you're one who will wait. The Lord will train you through waiting. And uh, I look at the way the church was birthed. Consider the day of Pentecost and consider Jesus instruction to the disciples. Now, they had done many, many deeds in the name of Jesus. They were initiated in the teachings uh, that he gave them while, while he was walking with them. And then for 40 days, he unpacked the truths of the kingdom of God. Jesus, the risen Christ, unpacked the truths of the kingdom of God and opened their minds to revelation that you and I just, you know, we still are trying to delve into what they actually understood from the risen Christ. I mean, they got such a portion of understanding from Jesus. For 40 days, Jesus teaching them the truths of the kingdom and and opening the scriptures to them. And then he said, I want you to tarry, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father until you're endued with power from on high. And this point can't be overlooked that the, the advent of the church, the birthing of the church in this age came 
from a 10-day waiting marathon. Think that through for a minute. 10 days of waiting before the Lord. Till it was 120 people who were hanging in there. I mean, he appeared to over 500 after he was risen, but only 120 hanging in for 10 days. That is a long time. A 10-day straight prayer meeting. Who knows how many hours a day they were in the upper room. They didn't have worship teams like we have. They didn't have sort of sweet devotional sets or you know, angelic voices like we've got to sort of carry us. They just were there in that upper room waiting for power. And I look at the way he chose to birth the church. He could have easily said, I'm alive. Bam, go do it all. You've already learned everything. Instead, he said, I'm alive. I've taken you through three and a half years of discipleship in my own hand. Now, let me put all the scriptures together for you. And once he gets all the scriptures in line and, and opens up the ideas of the kingdom to them and opens their minds to understand it, he goes, now, wait. And I just, I just want to get it in our hearts and our heads that this, this concept of waiting on the Lord, it's central to all, who, to all that we're supposed to be is the bride. It's central to all that we're supposed to be is the church. Waiting on the Lord for his activity is central to, to the entire paradigm of being a, king, a person in the kingdom. Waiting for the Lord and then obeying as he you know, gives instruction and as he moves. And so the church is birthed through waiting. The church is birthed by uh, people who were trained and had revelation on them. But they were in, in a uh, posture of united pursuit through waiting. That's a critical thought. Because we run ahead so often and we handle things so often in our own strength. And we short circuit the activity of heaven. I'm convinced if we would wait more often for power from on high, we would see more often power from on high. But instead, we run ahead by the arm of the flesh and we settle for human results because we've only done things that human flesh can produce. So they sit and they wait and fire falls. They sit and they wait and fire falls. And so that, that's the birthing of the church. And from that moment forward, they're, le- they're being led by the Spirit. And waiting is that aggressive posture of asking for the Holy Spirit's leading. That's what waiting is. Waiting is not being idle. Waiting is not being lazy. Waiting is, waiting is not a, a lack of, of working. Waiting is, what do you want to do, God? I'll do whatever you want to do, but I'll wait. Even at the expense of looking bizarre and my flesh being on fire. I'll wait. To obey you rather than just conjure something up in my own mind. So the New Testament church is born through a united people postured in pursuit. Waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the thing that I want to get to our, to our hearts and then I'll get to our message. Um, the, when you look at the verses about the end of the age. When you look at the posture of the end time church. When you look at the way the bride will operate in a concert with Jesus at the end of the age, the issue of waiting is front and center. The bride will not be this, uh, uh, this people who operates by the power of the flesh. She will be a, a, a people who is united in pursuit of Jesus, still waiting on him for power and deliverance. At the end of the age, at the time of the greatest crisis the earth has ever seen, the posture of the bride will be patient, perseverant waiting. That's how critical this is. This can't be a thing that we just sort of, here's, here's what I'm thinking. I don't want to get into a time of crisis and end time events begin to happen on the scene and, you've, and we've got no palate for waiting on the Lord. We start running around like chickens with our heads cut off trying to make something happen because that's what we've done all along. No, I want to be so trained through waiting and patiently waiting until my flesh is incinerated in that furnace of waiting that when real trouble comes on the planet, we're a well-trained bride ready for the activity of the Lord to happen in his timing, in his way, by his command and not by the arm of the flesh. It's critical that we learn to wait today so then the hour when waiting on the Lord's activity is essential for us that we're able to, uh, to fully flow in that. Here's the deal. There's no way that the church 
will be able to combat the full manifestation of demonically empowered sin in the flesh if she is in the flesh operating by the arm of the flesh. There's no way. The bride at the end of the age must operate in patient perseverance, waiting on the activity of heaven and moving in concert with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the bride together in unison say, come Lord Jesus. And so the bride moving, flowing in the Holy Spirit, waiting on the activity of the Lord and the leadership of the Lord and the refreshing of the Lord and the empowerment of the Lord and not trying to get things done in her own strength. Well, there's several verses, I just want to read them to you, that that really talk about this. As it relates to this end of the age peace. The church was born through waiting and this age, the church will, be, will culminate this age in waiting. Daniel 12, verse 12 and 13, it says this. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. I don't have time to explain what that is, but that's at the end. That's, that's when the marriage supper starts. Go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. Blessed is he who waits. That's that perseverant, patient waiting through times of trial at the end of the age. Zephaniah 3.8. This is what the Lord's declaration to his people is. He says, therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger, all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. And an hour that the Lord is pouring out his fiery jealousy and the day of the Lord has come upon the earth, the the commission to the bride is wait on the Lord. That is so intense. Wait on the Lord in partnership, in prayer. Wait for his leadership. We're to be a well-trained bride through this mechanism of waiting. And then, I won't, I won't go into it, but Revelation 13.10 and Revelation 14.12, both of those verses describe the patient perseverance of the saints through many challenges, persecution, and even martyrdom, and that the, the commission, the command from the Lord to the church is to wait, even through suffering and trials. And so just as the church was birthed in waiting, this age will be culminated by a bride who is mature, a lady in waiting. Amen. I wanted to get that nugget to you. It's a critical nugget. Now, like I said, I had so much content, I had to just put some of it on the back burner. But look at Isaiah 30. Here's what I want to give you now. I want to give you three, three just thoughts. And I put the one that's going to mess me up the most last so I can try to make it through the other two. But I want to talk about God's promise in waiting. I want to talk about the ways that Christians process waiting and three produces of waiting. I didn't try to do all peas. They just came. <laughs> they did. So Isaiah 30, 18, this is one of the most clear promises that the Lord gives in waiting. I'll give you the context. He says to his people, he says, if you would have quieted yourself and rest, if you would have just quieted yourself and rest and waited on me, there would have been salvation and deliverance for you. But you wouldn't have it. You said, we will run And he goes, and you will run. You will be chased down by enemies. And you said, we will flee on horses. And he goes, and you will flee on swift horses, and swift horses will overcome you. In other words, the the context of this is is thus. God says, rest and wait. And the people of God, Israel at the time, says, no, we will not rest and wait. And he goes, therefore, you will be overcome by the very things that you give yourself to. Listen to that. If you won't rest and wait, you will be overcome by the very thing that you give yourself to. In other words, if you try to produce by the arm of the flesh your own deliverance, the arm of the flesh will overtake you in other ways. That's that's the, the painful truth. 
that God is delivering to his people that if they won't wait on his power, but they operate by their own strength in the arm of the flesh, ultimately it is the arm of the flesh that will overtake them. I think it's applicable to the church today. I think we, we need to hear that. We need to learn to become a people who wait on the Lord even through the pain of it. Waiting is painful. Waiting is a crucible. Waiting is a furnace. Waiting stinks sometimes. It just, it's rough. We don't have much uh, palate for waiting. We, we, we tap our foot at the microwave and try to hurry through the drive-thru. We, we just, we're just not trained to wait. He goes, I will train you, my people. Wait on me and I'll burn up all those fleshly impulses in the crucible that's called waiting. Wait on me and I will deal with the arm of the flesh as you wait. So Isaiah 30 though, in that, in that moment where he's telling Israel, you wouldn't wait on me. You, we went by the arm of the flesh. You wouldn't wait on me. He goes, here's what I say to you though. The Lord will wait. The Lord will wait. Why? That he may be gracious to you. The Lord will wait on you. That he may be gracious to you. And therefore he will be exalted. That he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. I love the, I love the treatment. Of the, of, I mean I just love the way the Lord treats his people. This is an amazing thought. He goes you're running after the arm of the flesh. He goes I'll give you to the full what you're what you're running after. I'll let you you know reap exactly what you're sowing. But as for me, he goes I'll wait on you. I'll wait because I want to be merciful to you. Cuz I will wait to get your fill of what you're using to to try to satisfy, to try to make everything happen. He goes but I'll just wait. Because I want to be merciful. I'll give you your own way. I'll let you, you know, you know, a friend of mine said, he goes, you're one of those guys, this is probably about 10 years ago, he said, you're one of those guys that likes to get a lot of done on your own, don't you? <clears throat> and I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're, you're gifted and you're energetic and you can probably do a lot. Uh, just, you know, you know, just come up with stuff to do all the time and just get her done. And I said, well, Yeah. And he said, good, the Lord will let you put the pedal to the metal. And I thought he was going to say, and get so much done for the kingdom. But he said, he'll, he'll let you put the pedal to the metal so that when you ram into the brick wall that's going to come, you'll actually die, and then he can resurrect you. I thought I was about to get a good word, you know. <laughs> It was a good word. I just didn't have a, a grid for it. He goes, you like to get a lot done, don't you? I go, yeah. He goes, you're gonna, he goes, the Lord will let you get as much done as you think you can. He'll let you put the pedal to the metal. You'll get the fill of that. And it will bring you to an end. And that's what he does. The Lord allows us to get the fill of the flesh until it, we come to our end. And there he is, generous in mercy, just waiting. Can you imagine our God waits on us to be merciful to us? He waits on us to be merciful to us. He waits on us so that he can release mercy to us. I just, I can't even, he wants to be gracious to us. I just, this verse, I stared at this verse. I had it on my computer screen for a couple days. I just kept coming back to it going, I just, I can't. I just, I don't have a grid for you waiting on me to get done with all of me so that I can finally receive from you. Can you imagine that? He waits to a wayward nation. This is what he's saying to Israel. A wayward nation that's choosing their own way, not following the, the word of the Lord. To a wayward nation, he goes, I'll wait for you. Go do what you're going to do. It's going to cause massive calamity. But I'll wait for you because I want to be gracious to you. I want to be merciful to you. I want to bring justice for you. I look at that. I just go, well. And he goes, and I'll wait so that I'll be exalted. 
He goes, by the end of this thing, there's no way you'll be able to point to yourself and say you got it done. He goes, I'll wait, let you do all your flesh, let that bring, you know, certain ends in your life, and then I'll act, I'll be gracious, and I'll be exalted in this thing. Listen, gang, I am so, I'm, I'm just concerned. I'm concerned. I, I mean, anyone that's listening to me on internet, our community here, hear me clearly. I'm so concerned about our culture uh, of cult of personality where we exalt different ones and make them, you know, these uh, stars in, in Christendom. I promise you there will be no stars in the kingdom except for Jesus when this thing is said and done. I promise you, which ma- it, it makes me it makes me tremble. I have, a, I have a certain fear in my heart because I go, what, what does that mean then for the way that, what, what's going to happen to our, our culture at this moment? What, how do things have to shift and, and, and change so, so that there aren't any stars but Jesus? How do they have to shift? At what level does there have to be a reversal? How do the power bases have to crumble so that there are no humans exalted in the name of Jesus, just the name of Jesus? Because I'll let you get the fill of your flesh, Israel. I'll let you produce all you want in your own strength. And I'll wait. I just wonder how often the Lord's waiting by our services and our TV shows and our book deals and our CDs and our internet followers and our fan pages. Look, I've got those. I've got a fan page. I've got book deals, internet followers, pocket... I just wonder how often he just waits by all of it and just goes, I'll let you get all done in your flesh that you want to get done. He goes, we'll we'll let you get the fill of that and what that will bring. Because I'm waiting because I want to be merciful to you, church. He goes, I want to be gracious. I want to be merciful. He goes, I alone will be exalted. I will have mercy on you. I am a God of justice. And that's the one I just go, what does that mean? I know it means he's going to make all the wrong things right, but he's talking to his people and making all the wrong, th- all the wrong things right with them. He goes, I'm a God of justice. I will flip it all around. I'll turn it all around. And he goes, blessed are those who wait for him. So the promise in the waiting, the promise in the waiting is this. He waits for us, even in our foolishness and in our flesh. He waits for us so he can be merciful to us, so he can be gracious to us, and so he can bring justice for us. That's the promise. If you wait, if you wait on the Lord, he will move. Isaiah 64, no one has ever seen a God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. He, he, he answers prayer. He, he, he acts on behalf of, of the one who waits. That's him. So his promise in the waiting is to be gracious, merciful, and to release justice. And he alone will be exalted. Now how do Christians handle it? How do they process waiting? Three ways that Christians process waiting. I bet there's other ways, but these are the ones that stuck out to me. First thing that happens, and I mentioned this before, Proverbs 13, 12, they defer or cast off hope. Many times in waiting, Christians cast off hope. They've been waiting for a while. They're asking the Lord to answer. They're waiting for a sure, you know, an assurity to come, a blessing to come. They're waiting for God to do something on their behalf. And after a certain amount of time, who knows the threshold? You know your threshold. But after a certain amount of time, they quit waiting. And they, uh, many times they will cast off hope. They'll defer hope. Now that defer isn't hope delayed. It's hope cast away. That Proverbs thirteen twelve is hope cast away. Hope cast away makes your heart sick. Hear me. 
If you've been waiting long on the Lord and your heart is sick, it's because you gave up hope. You cast it away. You've got to come back to that place of hopeful expectation based in the nature of God. Hoping in God, understanding he's faithful, that he watches over his word to perform it, that he'll do what he said he would do. He never has left you nor forsakes you. Comprehending his nature, understanding that he's a God of mercy, that he waits for you, it will re-energize hope for you. He's going to do what he promised. You've got to get back into hope. Hope deferred or thrown away will make you heart sick. And when Christians get heart sick, there's this continuum. There's this, there's this, you know, on one end, this is what a heart sick Christian looks like. But then on the other end, this is what a heart sick Christian looks like. You know, it's, it's mildly negative to profoundly negative. On the mild side, the heart sick Christian, they occupy themselves with other pursuits. And they're just sort of carrying cynicism and disillusionment. Hear me now. They're just carrying cynicism and disillusionment. They're occupied with other things. And I, I man, I tell you, 20 plus years of ministry, and I look back and I just, I, I, I look in the wake of so many things I've seen God do, and I, I see these Christians that are out there on the edge of, the, of the, the activity of God that used to be right there on the middle of it, and they're out there on the edge of it, and they're sort of just disillusioned, and they're busy about whatever will just occupy them. And, you know, they're just all into something, but they're not all into him. Because the, long, the, the length of the waiting has caused their heart, their hope to grow dim, and they cast it away, and so they just occupy themselves with something else. I refuse to find myself there. I've, I tell you, I know this feeling, though, because I've, te- I've teeter-tottered on the edge of it. I just settle down, just be a little bit normal. You know, we could really get a good thing going, just preach a few felt need messages. You know, just minister to people's hearts in a way that they want to be ministered to. Be encouraging. Don't talk about the end of the age. Don't always talk about revival. Talk about what they need to know that week instead of the end of the age. We get get a big thing going here. Because we've been waiting a long time, Lord. We've been waiting a long time for you to do something beyond what we've ever dreamed. And where is it? When I find myself and, and that I'm, I'm losing the grip on hope, I go, no. I will refuse to become one just going through the motions. Living a little dabble do you Christianity just enough to inoculate you to the real thing. You know that. That you know that you get the inoculation. It's just enough, you know, an immunization. It's actually they give you the actual sickness, just enough so that you you get immune to the real thing. So many Christians they live immune to the real thing because they got just enough. They've settled for just enough. I don't want. I don't want to live that way. I don't want any one of you to live that way. It's not worth living the one life you have. Immune to the very God who gave us his life. When I see Christians all the time just so busied up with so many other things. And I just look, I go, what do you do? I just, in my heart, I go, I want to be kind. So I go, how are you? Oh, you know, doing this, doing that, we're doing good. And I just want to go, where's your hunger for Jesus? Come on, man, you got one life. Don't don't settle into the status quo. You can't. This this thing's going to be over like that. So much more of him to have. Come on. And so they occupy themselves with whatever. And, And we're, you know, we organize it for them. The church does. We organize programs of every sort. To keep people busy with everything but him. They go, where's your programs? We don't have them. We have a prayer room. We have a prayer room. So people can connect to Jesus. We have outreaches and departments and things that that make the prayer room live. 
works. I just don't want to live that way. On that, that's the mild end of hope deferred. The, the heavy end is that they cast off restraint because they lost hope and they lost vision. And you know what I'm talking about because you've seen the one that was in the very center of the thing God was doing. And 10 years later, where are they? They're not even serving the Lord. He's like, what happened to you? Somewhere along the line, they let go of hope. And then somewhere along the line, they let go of vision. And when you let go of vision of what God will do in your life, you throw off self-control. When you let go of the prophetic promises, you throw off restraints. And I've seen many shipwrecked that one time they were going hard after the Lord and my heart goes, God, no, let it not be, let it not be. And I know he'll find many of them again. I know he'll pull many of those that are disillusioned back in again. I know he'll ignite flames in them, but don't waste this life. Don't waste the time of this life. It's short. 70 or 80 years is this as it relates to eternity. It's gone. Don't waste time playing games, disillusioned, casting off hope. I had, a, had the coolest thing happen this week. I had just a, a, a note of faith touch me this week. I had a guy who I, who I was friends with in high school. And you guys, you know, I've shared my testimony, but I wasn't a good guy before I came to Jesus. I was really messed up and drugs and so many different things. And this was one of my close friends. Well, he contacted me on the internet and he left a message on my, on my website and he said, uh, looks like you're doing well. I knew you would probably end up serving the Lord. He goes, I need to let you know, I didn't find him as early as you did, but I found Jesus in the year 2000 and I'm serving him now. I was blown away. And my wife and I were like, what? And we ended up connecting and actually had dinner with him and his wife on Friday night, just blown away. Because I'm staring at this guy, and I mean, he was the last guy that I thought would get saved. And there he is, the last guy I thought would get saved, got saved. Listen, the Lord, he can reach anyone. He can reach the one that was in the middle that's completely offended now. He can reach the one that's disillusioned and just over there just Facebooking their life away. I mean, he can reach anybody. Listen, I mean, I'm, I'm all into social media, but there's a point where Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, I mean, you just get so Facebooked up, dude. It's like, how many status updates can you read? I don't really care if you're going to the bathroom or having a coffee or what the mountains look like today. I swear I just don't. I want God. It's just, oh, I'm just tired of that. I mean, there's just a point where it's like you're just gagging on everybody's status update. I'm, trying, I'm sitting here like, okay, I want to be relevant. I want to reach people through social media. I'm like, is this what people do? Unfollow, 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 unfollow. Golly. Third thing Christians do in the process of waiting, first is they cast off their hope and become heart sick. I got to give you a second thing. I give you two versions of casting off hope. Second thing, they settle for normal Christianity waiting for someone else to get a breakthrough. I think many, many of us might be in that mode. You know what I'm saying? Just kind of, you hadn't left, you hadn't like, you know, turned your back on the idea. But you just kind of sit there and just, someone else go for it. Because I've just, you know, I've been going for it for a while. I'm getting tired. Someone else, do it. Someone else get us the breakthrough. Don't live there. You don't want to live there. You don't want to live there cheering on someone else running in the game, running in the race. You don't want to live your life in the stands. I promise you, don't live there. He didn't make you to live, to, to live in the stands. We got so familiar with everything that God does and so familiar with all the church lingo and all the services and everything and you just sit back and one of them young people, they'll get a breakthrough for us. You get the breakthrough. You can get a breakthrough. You can get a breakthrough in your home. You can get a breakthrough in your job. 
You can, you can get to that pang of hunger that just says, I won't, I won't let you go, God, until you bless me. I just won't. I'm not waiting on someone else's anointing to do this thing. I want to see God in the land of the living. I, I, I want to see you move in my life. I, I love all the testimonies. I love Francina's testimony. You know, she got healed of cancer. It's so awesome. I want to see cancer healed here. I'm so grateful for the miracles that God does in Mark and Francina's life, but we need his power here. I'm not bitter. I'm excited for them, but I want to see something here and now. I don't want to just be satisfied on someone else's testimony. The third thing. So the second one is they settle for normal Christianity, waiting for someone else to get a breakthrough. The third thing is the positive one. It's the painful one. This is the one I'm asking you for. They continue in a posture of pursuit, even through the pain. They continue to pursue, though the pain is deep and the waiting is long. I want to get the breakthrough, but if he just delayed us, then I want to live a life of pursuit. Passionate pursuit. United pursuit. A community. I want us to be a spiritual family that has it clear what we're doing. We're going after God. That's what we're doing. We're united in heart, believing God for a break-in of his power and his presence. We're pursuing God. We're pursuing the knowledge and the nature of God. We're pursuing the face of God, knowing that he wants to release blessing from his hand. If he delays the breakthrough, then I want us to all be clear, let's go at this thing together. I look at the posture of the church in Acts and I go, that's probably what God intended for the church throughout all the ages. Wait here, united in pursuit. All in one accord in one place. United in pursuit. Wait here until power comes. It's probably what, it's probably way more prescriptive than it is descriptive. What I mean is it's probably more a prescription for how we're supposed to act than just a description of how they acted. United in pursuit that we be a people going after God together. Let's just do it. And if the waiting is long, then I guarantee you the pain will be real. But I'd rather have pain in the delay than be in some malaise having medicated my heart with something else and pushed off passion to someone else. I'd rather be a wreck than be reasonable. I just would. I mean, you know what? It may not look good to people on this side, but in a minute I get to talk to him about it. And if he was like, you were too much of a wreck for me, Billy, then, I, then okay, he gets to correct it. But I don't think that's the conversation we're going to have. You were too hungry for me. I don't think anyone's, I don't think the Lord's going to say that to anybody. You were, you were too hard after me. How do Christians process waiting? Some cast off hope, some settle, and some continue. If you continue, it's painful. It is. It just is. But we find hope in the pain. We pursue. We we posture our hearts with aggressive pursuit, even in the waiting. And I promise you, there is a day when the mournful are comforted. There is a day when the hungry are filled. There is. There is. And until we experience those days, we just get the bliss of longing in this age. You know, there's coming a time when you won't ever long for God again. You only get to log that in this age. You might as well log as much of it as you can. All right, finally, the produces of waiting. Well, I talked about it last time. Maturity. He said, the psalmist said in Psalm 131 too, he said, I quieted myself like a weaned child. He said, I grew up through the process. I wasn't a baby anymore. I wasn't crying if it wasn't instant anymore. I grew up. There was a growth that happened to me through the waiting. 
There's a maturity that happens to us through waiting. There's a maturity that comes on us if we don't get immediately gratified every single time. God grows us up. My daughter is three. We're having to explain that she can't immediately get everything she wants. And she's brilliant. She has every excuse as to why she should get everything right then. It's a maturing process for her. And I look at her. I see me. I look at her with me and I see me with the Lord. I go, God, I just want to learn to wait. Quiet my soul. And be okay with it. Waiting makes you mature. Waiting creates purity. It is a crucible. It is an oven. It is a furnace. Your flesh will burn in waiting. I mean, anytime you wait for even a natural thing, your flesh will burn. When you're waiting for something that your soul is longing for in God or a promise from the scripture, or a prophetic promise of some sort, and you're going, when will it come? There is a, an inferno that hits your flesh. Waiting burns up that immediate gratification desire in your flesh that so often short circuits the processes of God. It's through waiting on the Lord that the last vestiges of the arm of the flesh are incinerated. Through waiting, we find the cross, and we ultimately die to our own ambitions and desires. And that's critical because where selfish ambition exists, James told us, so does every evil thing. It's got to go. Selfish ambition has got to go. There's going to be a bride that's not concerned with self. She's just concerned with Jesus. Waiting burns up selfish ambition. There's this process that young ministers go through, and I can speak clearly and thoroughly about it because it's my process. As a young man, I just, all I had, only vision I had was how do you become the next ministry success? Well, yeah, it's in the name of the Lord, but there's all sorts of perks, and those guys are on TV, and they get all sorts of cool stuff. And I watched the Lord from the time I was about 20 just give me a little blessing and then just delay me. And then give me a little, you know, where it can go and then just delay it. And give me more and then just hold back. Until I just would argue with the Lord in my prayer times and say, God, what are you doing? When will you Release the promises that you've given me. When? And he said, son, the delay is much more about your heart than it is about anything else. And you finally just get to the place where you go, I don't, I don't, want, defe- I don't want success defined by anything but you. I don't want it defined by anything but being close to God. Being intimate with God, feeling your pleasures on my soul. That's what I want. If that is success, and it is, knowing the love of God, knowing that you're loved by God, loving God and knowing that he loves you, that's where success is defined. When When that begins to light on your soul, all of a sudden, all the natural little markers that we use to discern what success is, it just, it's like, what, why did I think that was important? You're important. You're what's important. You're what's valuable. Well, it's the process of the bride. It's not just the process of ministers. But he uses the waiting to burn up all that selfish ambition. And it's precious as you're dying. You know, the, the scripture says, precious in the eyes of the Lord of the death of the saints. I don't think that's just about their physical death. It's about the death they die when they come to the end of themselves. Well, the last one, this is the one that's actually going to probably take us into another place, is hunger. 
Waiting produces hunger. You ever sat before a meal and it was on the table and the guy decided he wanted to pray real long? I remember a mission trip we took to Guatemala and the guy had to pray like a theology discourse and like then sing a couple of hymns before every meal. What are you doing, dude? Stop. That's not the Lord. Taste and see the Lord is good. We're supposed to eat. Let the hungry be filled with good things. But the more you wait, the hungrier you get. The more you wait, the hungrier you get. That's if you stay in on the waiting. But I've watched it, and I've watched it in my own self. I've watched it in believers. They unplug from the waiting in God, and they plug into other things to anesthetize their soul. They medicate the pain. They fill themselves with other things so that the, the craving of their souls, just, it's just dulled. And I don't want to do that. I just want to live in that place where my heart is just, just raw. And I just feel like this. Like I, if there's a certain amount of rawness in my soul that I know I'm okay. When I'm dull and I'm cold and nothing moves me and things seem cliche and trite, then I know I'm not okay. I'll tell you, it's the same for you. If the word is trite, if the worship is cliche, the ministry needs a, a fresh something for you to be more engaged, I promise you, it's not about that. It's about your heart. If the word is trite to you, it's not because the word is boring, it's because you've grown dull. And I know this because it's, it's the journey that I've gone through. I just think about these verses. I think about the posture that David had and that Psalm 130 that we went over last time. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits in his word. I hope my soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Oftentimes hunger doesn't produce satisfaction. Oftentimes hunger produces more hunger and that's just how it is. Satisfaction is coming but it's not necessarily on your timing. Stay in. Hear me, stay in there. Allow hunger to become great. Because the hungrier you get, the more he has to release to fill. He he wants hunger to grow so that he can release something of of, of magnitude. Let's read this last verse. Psalm 42. The scripture says this contemplation of the sons of Korah. I've taught on this extensively in the past. I'm convinced this is David. He wrote it for the sons of Korah, not a contemplation of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. With the voice of joy and praise. With the multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. And then he speaks to himself. Why are you downcast? Cast down, O my soul. And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. He's telling himself, don't cast off hope. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Oh, I love David. Sometimes it's all you can pray. God, I'm aching. That's what he's saying. God, I'm aching. My soul, God, is aching. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you. From the land of Jordan, I will remember you. And from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mazar. He goes, here's the outcome in me. Deep 
calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. And then he says this. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Here's what's going on with David. Let me just give this to you and we'll end. David is on the run from his son Absalom. Absalom has chased him beyond the Jordan. David is the rightful king. His son is trying to usurp the kingdom. David has been chased out of town. He's had to cross the Jordan River. He's actually had to leave Israel. And David says, in the middle of this massive family political crisis, he says, I need God. He doesn't say, I wish I was back being the king again. I wish I was back in my palace. I wish I was back in my position. He goes, I'm longing for God. All this turmoil is happening, but I just want God. He goes, I remember the days of going on the pilgrim feasts and and experiencing the joy that was in the multitude as we were encountering the Lord together at Passover. I remember those days of tabernacles and we were experiencing the presence of God. I remember it and my soul is longing for God. I just think it's it's astounding. David is in, in the most... A devastating political situation he could ever be. He's been, he's been kicked from office by his own son who's leading rebellion against him and all David can talk about is how much he's hungering for God. In the middle of it all, he just goes, soul, what is wrong? Why are you so messed up? Remember God, hope in God. He goes, I mean, it's, I can just, it's just like David saying, I was just about to lose hope, but I spoke to myself and said, no, I'll hope in God. I'll hope in God. He will be the help of my countenance. And then verse seven, he just says that verse and I don't know that we really get it, but. He goes, deep calls unto deep at the voice of your waterfalls. All your billows and your waves have gone over me. What's he describing? He's describing someone who's drowning. Your waves and the billows, the water spouts, are rolling over me. He's describing somebody who's lost at sea, who's being pounded by the waves, who's being crushed by the waves. And he goes, it's at that activity that something deep on the inside of me is crying out to the deep in you, God. He goes, what he's saying is, I get it. You allowed this to happen so that hunger would come out of my heart. You allowed this to happen at the at the crushing of the waves, that the deep parts of me would be, they would be unearthed. I'd be, I'd be crowbarred from that complacency of soul and, and from the inside I would ache and long. The depths of me would be touched to cry out to something deep in you. I know it's you that's bringing the pressing so that I'll wake up. Because that's, It's working. It says the deer pants for the water brook and the only deer that pants for a water brook is a deer that's been running and been hunted. Otherwise they sneak to the little pool. They sneak to the little water pool. But for them to come out into the open to the water brook and they're panting for the water, it's the hunted deer who has no other choice It's either die or drink. And he said, that's where I'm at. He said, I'm either dying or I'm going to drink of you, God. See, this guy, this is Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn. We want a nice, comfortable, tidy Christianity that looks so presentable. And he said, here's the values of the kingdom. You gotta be poor in spirit and you gotta be mournful. 
you got to be completely destitute of your own wealth and, and your own abilities. you got to be poor in spirit. And you got to be longing for me. It's Christianity 101. What's waiting do? It serves all of that. I'll just say a crazy thing. If the delay makes me long for him more, if the delay delivers me from my flesh, if the delay grows me up, I don't mind the delay. I think about that Psalm 27, 13 and 14. He said, I would have fainted lest I believed. I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then 14 says, hope in God. (laughs) He goes, I'll answer the longing with a grip on hope. Expectation that he's faithful and that he'll answer. Amen.